Our sermon this morning is from Proverbs chapter 24, verses 11 and 12. And I feel that I need to begin the sermon this morning with a warning and and kind of a uh, disclaimer. I'm I'm going to be talking, this is Sanctity of Life Sunday, um, and so I'm going to be talking mainly about how this text applies to the situation that we find ourselves in in our country um, with the reality of abortion. Abortion is a very uh, shocking and, and sobering reality. And so there are going to be times when strong language is, is used and must be used to rightly speak the truth, to rightly convey the tragic reality, uh, this tragic reality of abortion. Um, so there's not going to be anything, you know, profane in this sermon, but the language at times will be strong. And so if you're, if you're a parent of a young uh, child in the service and you'd rather them not hear this, I understand if you're if you've had an abortion or um, you're watching online or if you had some kind of experience with abortion, you need to know that God loves you, that, uh, that there is no sin that is too great for you to come to him, and uh, we love you. Uh, we're, um, we're just a collection of sinners saved by grace. And, um, and so I just wanted to start out that way. This is going, there are things in this sermon that may be difficult uh, for us to hear, but they need to be heard. And so I'm going to read the text. Hopefully it'll be on the screen and, um, and then pray and then we'll get right to it. Proverbs 24, 11 to 12 says, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Let's pray together. Father, uh, we come before you and just asking for your help. Um, asking for you. I ask, Lord, for your spirit to move among us this morning. I ask holy spirit that you would convict us where we need to be convicted that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged lord that you would uh, move us to action i pray that this that this sermon this morning would be a call to action lord not just for us here but for anyone and everyone who might hear it who's not here Um, i pray lord that you would by the power of your word, um, just give us grace, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would de- decrease our fear of man and increase our fear of you and increase our love for you. and Help us to live by your truth and no other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, I'd like for you to imagine this morning that you're a visitor from another country. uh, And you're here in Virginia for the first time. And you're a believer, you're a Christian, and you're driving to a local church on a Sunday morning. And a few blocks away from the church building, you see another building with a sign in front of it, a very shocking sign, and the sign says, Child Sacrifice Center. 
This sign shocks you, and so you, you pull over and you see even more troubling things. You see fire and smoke rising from two gigantic chimneys you, coming from inside the building, and you see people standing in line with babies in their arms. They take the babies in, and they come out empty-handed. Some of the people are crying, others look numb, and yet others even have a smile on their face. And then you pull away from that place and you arrive at the church, which is just another couple blocks from the the horrific site that you left, and you greet the believers there, and you you go on to tell them the the horrifying reality of what you just witnessed less, less than a mile away from their very building, and the believers there respond, oh yes, isn't, isn't it so sad? That's, that's been happening for years here. And you ask them if they've called the police, and they say, oh no, we, we couldn't do that. You see, child sacrifice is legal here. And you say, well, isn't there anything else that, that can be done? I mean, can't we go and, and plead with these people? Can't we preach to these people and tell them what they're doing is wrong? And they say, certainly not. You don't know what those people have been through. We, we don't want to be judgmental. Some of them have had a really hard life. And you say, well, can't we offer to take their children, adopt their children? And they say, you know, don't you know how much adoption costs? And you say, well, can't we go before the government officials and and organize and demand that they ban this practice immediately? I mean, aren't you guys doing anything? And the believers there say, oh, oh yes, we do something. We we vote. Every, Every two years, we vote for our political party. And we believe they're going to stop it one day. And that's what we have to do. We just, we just keep voting. And, and you ask, well, how long has this been going on? They say, well, 40, 50, almost 50 years now. And have people from your party been voted in? Well, well yeah, some, some have. And have you been successful in, in stopping the killing? And they say, well, we've had a little success here and there, but, but not very much. It, it still happens in nearly every state in the country. And some of the politicians in our party, they say they're going to stop it, but then they, they don't really keep their promises. And you say, but what about us? Can't we do something? And they say, oh no, we're just regular people. All we, all we can do is vote and, and pray this goes away one day. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. And if you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? God's word commands us as Christians to rescue those who are being taken away to death. And every day across our country, over 3,000 preborn children who are made in the image of God just like you and just like me, are taken away to their death. The problem with the majority of of American Christians today is they don't see it that way. They see abortion as a political issue and nothing more. They really have no involvement in trying to stop it whatsoever except that they vote Republican every two to four years. And so that's why after four years of getting fed up with Donald Trump, they find themselves drawn to a candidate from the Democratic Party. They're able to justify support of that party, a party that's almost 100% supports abortion across the board, 
by saying things like, well, we need to be concerned about all stages and issues of life, not just abortion. They see abortion as a political issue instead of seeing it as it is. Genocide. A holocaust. So the first question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, do we really believe that over 3,000 kids are being killed every day? The, The reality of this proverb should cut to our hearts. Every day, more babies are being taken away to death by their own parents who have bought into all kinds of lies. And it's our job as the people of God to rescue them. And so how do, how do we rescue them? Well, there are lots of ways, but the most straightforward way is to stand in front of an abortion clinic and pray and plead with the people not to go through with something that they will regret for the rest of their life. Yes, that is showing God's love. Some people would say it's harassment. Just like I'm sure a drug dealer would think of themselves as being harassed when those pesky police officers keep shutting down their business. Or just like an alcoholic husband might wish his wife would stop harassing him about going into rehab. But that is love. Love cannot stay silent when it sees lives being destroyed. Love warns. Love tells someone the truth even when they don't want to hear it. Years ago in New Jersey, I, I once witnessed an, a, an abortion clinic, an entire abortion clinic, get shut down for the day simply because enough Christians flooded the sidewalk to pray, preach, and plead. But there are lots of other ways to show love and support to those considering abortion. You can volunteer at and support crisis pregnancy centers. Our local CPC is currently hiring and looking for people to lead parenting classes. They have parenting classes called Great Expectations. Our CPC's two biggest fundraising events, the Walk for Life and their annual dinner banquet, both had to be canceled because of COVID. And so they need help. They need support. Another way is to simply educate yourself. For example, did you know that Right now, Virginia legislators are attempting to amend the Virginia Constitution itself to eliminate any and all restrictions on abortion up until birth. You can support pro-life legislation, oppose pro-abortion legislation, call and write your representatives, be involved in the local political process, become a foster parent, adopt a child, Sign and share petitions, raise awareness, raise money, pray and fast, fast and pray. Support small, local, pro-life organizations that seek to abolish abortion rather than large national organizations that don't stand on principle and only want to regulate abortion. We must do everything we can to rescue those being taken away to death and hold back those who are stumbling towards slaughter. The second part of this verse says, hold back those who are stumbling towards the slaughter. And so how do you hold them back? Proverbs 14.12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. How do we hold people back from stumbling toward the slaughter? The stumbling doesn't start when a woman or a couple pull into a parking space at Planned Parenthood. It started long, long before that. It started, really, when they believed their own happiness and satisfaction to be the main goal and purpose of their life. 
It is, it's a spiritual war. It is a spiritual battle. It is a refusal to acknowledge God whose existence, nature, and power is obvious to everyone, says Paul in Romans chapter 1, that leads to every kind of moral depravity, including abortion. It's a spiritual war fought in hearts and minds. And so how do you hold people back? What do you do? You do what Paul tells us to do in 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We must do this at every opportunity, in every place, at every time, in every sphere of, our in, of the influence that God has placed us in. And so that means having those uncomfortable conversations with friends, co-workers, even family members that you, don't, that you might not want to have. It means loving them enough to tell them the truth and to talk about the truth about abortion demolishing arguments that set themselves up against God and the truth of God. This is God's world, and it operates by His rules. According to Matthew 28, Jesus has all authority, both in heaven and on earth. But lost people will pervert anything and everything to justify and hold on to their sin. I know, because I used to be one. When people deny God's truth, they're not really being rational or logical, and these things need to be pointed out to them in love. And so I want, hopefully we have it on the next slide, I want to give you the five most common arguments in support of abortion. The first four spell the acronym SLED. But the, just to try to give you guys, um, to, to try to uh, give you guys some tools about the arguments that are most commonly used. Um, so the first one is size. People try to justify abortion because the baby is very small. And this isn't as common as some of the others. But obviously we don't discriminate um, people on whether or not they, you know, how their size. We don't let that determine their humanity. As Dr. Seuss once said, a person is a person no matter how small. Uh, level of development, that's the second one. And this is a much more common. And so people will say, it's not a baby yet, it's an embryo, or it's a fetus. And uh, these are simply Latin words for stages of human development. They're used by doctors to be specific, but they're used by abortion advocates to clean up the language. Because it sounds a lot less violent to say that you're destroying an embryo than to say you're destroying a child or destroying a baby. It sounds a lot less violent to say that you're destroying a fetus than a baby. But again, these are just terms for stages of development, and all you have to do is just extrapolate the timeline. So you have an embryo, you then you have a fetus, and then you have an infant, and then you have a toddler, and then you have an adolescent, and then you have an adult. And each category involves greater physical and mental development than the last. But at no point in any of those stages is the person not a human being. I mean, think about it. Nobody except, well, maybe the parent of a teenager might say that teenagers are not human beings. But 
we wouldn't go around saying an adolescent is not a human being. And yet people say an embryo is not a human being or a fetus is not a human being. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 says, You, God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The next argument that's often used is the argument of environment. And this is very popular. Most popular in the freight. You guys have probably heard this slogan. You can probably finish it for me. My body, my choice. My body, my choice. But here's the thing. When a woman becomes pregnant, she doesn't just grow two extra legs. Right? She doesn't just grow two extra arms. She's not... She's not gaining like another heart to help pump her blood or another brain to be with her for the rest of her life. It's not, it's not her body. It's another body inside the woman's body. And that body has his or her own unique DNA, his or her own unique fingerprints. And just at 21 days after, her, after conception, his or her own heartbeat. And so it's not the woman's body. It's another body created by God in the image of God that deserves that as a person who deserves to be protected. The next argument is dependency. It's often argued that um, women ought to be able to kill their children by abortion because the baby is dependent upon the mother and could not survive on his or her own. But again, all you have to do is just apply that logic later on down the timeline, to see the absurdity of it. Even newborn babies cannot survive on their own. A baby can't feed himself or herself. It can't change uh, his self or herself. They will die if they're left alone. And so it's easy to see how fallacious that argument is as well. So size, level of development, environment, and dependency. And the last one is actually what I have found to be the most common, which is just an appeal to emotion. Because abortion and, and an unexpected pregnancy, a, a, a crisis, what's called, you know, pe- people call them a crisis pregnancy, uh, when a woman feels like she doesn't have anywhere to turn, she needs people there to tell her that she does have a place to turn. She needs the church there to tell her that she does have people who will help her through this and will walk with her through it. Um, but it's often very, very emotional. And, uh, and so people just appeal to emotion instead of, instead of using logic and common sense and, and slowing down and, and thinking about right and wrong. They just appeal to emotion. And the most, uh, one of the most common ways people appeal to, the motion is, appeal to emotion is they say, well, what if a woman was raped, which is actually, I think, less than 1% of, of abortion cases is a, is actually a situation like that. Or what if, um, you know, the baby was conceived in incest or, or has genetic defects? Or what if the child will be raised in poverty? What if the, the child will have a really, really hard life? So how, how do we answer things like this? Well, <clears throat> the way I answer it is this way when, when I'm talking to people about it. What if, what if the woman was raped? Well, first of all, why would you pr- punish an innocent child for the crime of their father. That doesn't make sense. 
And second, and imagine the dialogue here. If I'm talking to someone, I would say, I say, well, so you believe that rape is wrong? And they say, they say, yes, of course. I say, why do you believe that, that rape is wrong? And they say, they'll probably say something like this, that because a, a woman should, should never be forced into that. A woman should never uh, have her body violated. And then, so then I just repeat, I say, so are you saying it's always wrong for one human being to violate the body of another human being? And they say, yes, of course it is. And I say, thank you very much for that pro-life argument. Would you like to, would you like to join us? Because that is exactly our argument. It is wrong for one human being, it is always wrong for one human being to violate the body of another human being. And that's a little human being inside the woman's womb. And it's wrong for the abortionist to violate the body of that human being inside his or her mother's womb. But perhaps an even better way to talk about it would be this. I have a dear friend named Don Carnes who does abortion ministry. And I often hear him say this to people who are going in and out of the clinics. And in and out of the clinics. And he says, you need to realize that God has given you this baby, even if that baby was conceived in sin, as a gift to teach you how to love. Love is not what people think it is. It's not a feeling. Amy Carmichael, a well-known missionary, once said, you can give without loving But you cannot love without giving. People can only truly know and understand what love is when they realize that life is not all about them. And you know what can help you realize that real quick? Becoming a parent. Becoming a parent. God has instituted four restraints against the wickedness and evil of fallen humanity in this world. Four ways of holding us back. But those, th- those restraints are being demolished all over the place. The four restraints are this. The conscience, the family, the state, and the church. And all four of those are being corrupted and destroyed before our very eyes today. And Christians must work to restore them. The conscience must be informed by God's law and cleansed by believing the gospel. The family must be started God's way and held together God's way. That means staying pure until marriage. Christians need to say these things again. Abstinence before marriage. Uh, Getting married and having children. The state, the government, must govern by God's authority according to His law. And if they don't, then those laws are unjust laws. And an unjust law is no law at all. Which means that if the state were to govern by God's law, and this is, this, some people find this shocking, it means that abortion should be criminalized. Because it's murder. Roe versus Wade is neither a law nor a correct judgment about the Constitution. It is a fallacious, it is a, it is a wrong-headed judgment about the Constitution. It's judicial tyranny, and Christians should treat it as such and exhort their local leaders to ignore this Supreme Court ruling and abolish abortion in their cities and in their states. We have the slide with uh, Arizona, yes, which is what Arizona is doing. They have a rally at the state capitol coming up. 
And they're calling on people to ignore Roe versus Wade and criminalize abortion in Arizona. And it's coming up in just a few days. When, uh, before President Trump was president, when he was a candidate, when he was running as a presidential candidate in 2016, he was asked a question about abortion. And he, he had said that he was pro-life and even, and even said at one point that abortion should be illegal. And so one of the reporters then kind of followed up on that and asked him what should happen to a woman if she has an abortion when it is illegal. And in an amazing moment of uh, a politician actually being honest and consistent, he responded, well, I, should, I suppose she should be punished. And then he got all kinds of pushback. But not just from pro-abortion advocates. Of course, he's always going to get pushed back from them. He got, he got pushed back from pro-lifers and Christians, professing Christians. Because they're so used to just thinking, the, they would just say the woman is always a victim. The woman is a victim. But if you pay someone to have someone else killed, that, that is murder. That's how we define murder. But we've been, it's almost like people have been brainwashed in our culture. It's what, it's what Ecclesiastes 11 or 8.11 says. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, the hearts of the sons of men are given fully to do evil. And so people don't call abortion murder, they call it health care. They call it a medical procedure. And it's because we've been awash in this for so long. And Christians have just laid down and said, well, thus saith the Supreme Court. No, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. It's murder. Many Christians today cannot even bring themselves to call a woman who has had an abortion a murderer. She, she can only be a victim in their eyes. And I'm not talking about name calling here. I don't think any of us, I don't think anyone should be standing outside a clinic yelling you're a murderer over and over. Of course not. But what I'm saying is we need to be consistent with what God's law says and call abortion what it really is. Or have we bought into the hollow and deceptive philosophies of this world rather than filtering our view of the world through God's word? And incidentally, I believe that one of the biggest reasons that a lot of Christians tend to see women only as victims of abortion rather than perpetrators is because they haven't been to an abortion clinic. They haven't heard women say the things that I've heard them say, such as a woman just last month in December when I was in front of Planned Parenthood. My memory is a little fuzzy. I'm getting older, but I'm pretty sure this is almost verbatim. She said to me, I'm glad women have a place where they can come to get rid of their children. And I, I, I said, ma'am, did you hear the words that just came out of your mouth? When we, when we see evil happening in the world, it's natural for us not to want to stand against it. But th- this proverb tells us to do otherwise. If we could go back to the text, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold those back who are stumbling towards slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? 
There was a Lutheran pastor named Martin Neimoller who lived during the time of the Nazi Holocaust, and he wrote these famous words. First, they came for the socialists. And I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the unionists. And I did not speak out because I was not a unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak for me. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? These, these proverbs ought to flip our fear of man on its head. Because what the author is telling us is that we shouldn't be afraid of what people will think if we stand up and speak out. What we should be fearful of is what God might do to us if we don't. Jesus put it this way to his disciples. In Matthew 10.28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In his commentary on these verses, Matthew Henry writes, God knows and considers whether the excuses we make are true or not. Whether it was because we did not know it or whether the true reason was not because we did not love our neighbor as we ought, but were selfish and thoughtless, both of God and man. Let, us, let this serve to silence all our frivolous pleas by which we think to stop the mouth of our conscience when it charges us with the omission of our plain duty." If we turn a blind eye to the plight of the preborn and ignore the Holocaust happening all around us, do we not think that God knows about it? Of course He does. We should not be concerned about what people will think of us if we stand up and speak out. Rather, we should be afraid of what God will think of us if we don't. He is the one who keeps our soul. He is the one who weighs our heart. And He is the one who will repay every person according to their works, just as Paul puts it in Romans 2. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. For God does not show favoritism. Christians must stop thinking of abortion as something we have to live with and start thinking it as something which we cannot bear to live with any longer. Exchanging one politician for another is neither repentance nor is it reformation. Brothers and sisters, I'm not, I'm not giving this message this morning so we can all have a nice sermon and go home. There's a, there's a holocaust that's been happening for over 40 years and is continuing on our watch and it must end. And look, I know we can't all do everything. Many, many in this church are already doing a lot. We have foster parents in this church. We have parents who have adopted kids in this church, in this congregation, and I thank God for them. 
But if you haven't been praying, if you haven't been giving, if you haven't been speaking, if you haven't been fostering, adopting, supporting in some way, supporting and and working to end this in some way other than casting a vote every couple of years, then do yourself and everyone else a favor and stop calling yourself pro-life. I say that to myself as well. We should stop calling ourselves pro-life because we're no more pro-life than a pro-boxer who never laces up his gloves. Repent. Seek the Lord for what He would have you do. All of us can pray. All of us can pray fervently for this to end. All of us can fast from time to time. And some of us can do a lot more. But do something. We have people who are working to bring this to an end, but we need more. In just a minute, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite my my dear sister, uh, Sherry Britt, who has been in this fight a lot longer than I have, to come and share about her ministry. But let me conclude this message with, as, as I think any good preacher should, not that I consider myself a good preacher, uh, but with, with the gospel. Because that's what we're about here. We're about the gospel. Years back, I... Uh, I read an article about a group on a, on a college campus, a Christian college campus, that was trying to raise awareness about abortion. And they had some graphic signs. They had some graphic signs. But they didn't yell at anybody or harass anybody. They just held up their signs and they invited conversations and, and they were trying to raise, raise awareness and people came over and had conversations with them. Then the school shut them down. A Christian college shut them down because their signs were too graphic and they thought that those kinds of things had no place on a Christian college campus. I remember reading that article and I remember the next thought that entered my mind. The next thought that entered my mind was this. I wonder how they would feel about a naked, bloody, 30-year-old man with a crown of thorns on his head hanging from a cross. Would it cause them to stop and think? Would it bring them to repentance? And would it, would it cause them to change and, and seek God and, and love God and worship God? Or, or would it be something that they said, that, that kind of thing, we're, we're, we don't want to see that kind of thing here. I fear that that's what's happened to a lot of what, we, what is called Christianity. There's a term for it. It's called moral therapeutic deism that God that that we're just concerned about our own little morality and what we consider to be moral and just 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 being self-righteous and 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 I'm concerned about what God can do for me therapy therapeutic what not what I can do for him and deism that God has been said earlier that that God doesn't really have claim on my life I don't have to surrender everything to him I'm more of a deist that God is just up there and he set everything in motion and I'm just going to live my life. That is not Christianity. The cross of Jesus Christ has been the symbol of Christian faith for over 2,000 years. It was never meant to be an ornament. It was never meant to be a nice piece of jewelry. 
It's hard love. And Christ calls us to hard love. Difficult, sacrificial, self-denying love. And it's a reminder of just how bad we are and how horrendous our sin is and how amazing and incredible God's love and grace is. It's a reminder that we have no reason whatsoever to hope in how good we are to get to heaven, but we have every reason to hope in how good Jesus is to get to heaven. And it's a reminder that should not just bring us to our knees in repentance, but it should also bring us to our feet in active faith. Actions of faith. Zealous for good works. That's what Paul says in Titus, that Jesus gave His life to cleanse and purify a people for Himself who are zealous for good works. Abortion will end in this country. Not when the Supreme Court says so. Not when the right Supreme Court justices get appointed. But when the church of Jesus Christ rises up in His power. Jesus died, suffered and died under the wrath of God for the sins of everyone who would repent and trust in Him so that they don't have to. The true and living God is rich in mercy and abounding in love, and He delights in saving the worst of the worst. You see, the distinction, if you've never heard the Gospel and you're listening to this this morning, the distinction that God makes is not between good people and bad people. It's not between those who are good and those who are bad. Because in God's eyes, there's only one good human being who ever lived. And that was His Son. There's only one human being who ever measured up. And He came to lay His life down. He came to save everyone who repents and trusts in Him. And trusts in him. God's distinction is not between good people and bad people. God's distinction is between those who are willing to be honest with Him and with themselves, confess their sin, come to Him and surrender to Him and believe on His Son, and those who are not willing to do that. And those who would rather keep pretending and living in denial of the truth. So today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Turn from sin. Trust in Christ. Repent and believe the Gospel. Let's pray. I'm going to invite Sherry to to come up. Lord Jesus, I thank You for the cross. I thank You for Your sacrifice that You came to save a sinner like me who had lived in rebellion against You and spit in Your face and uh, lived with no regard for Your law even though You had written it on my heart. Lord, now that I know You, I can't live for myself any longer. I want to live for the One who died and rose again for me. And I know that everyone here does as well, Lord. And, but we need Your grace. It's easy for us to fear what people will do, what people will say, what people will think. It's easy, it's easy for us to just want to be comfortable. To just live in comfort and say one thing when our, our lives don't reflect what we say that, that we believe. Lord, please help us. Please change us. Please move us um, to repentance 
and works of faith, a living and active faith that speaks up for those who can't speak for the, speak for themselves, that um, that that cannot continue to live in this place where lives are being destroyed, that can't watch lives being destroyed and say and do nothing. Lord, I thank You for everyone here who is involved in this fight in whatever capacity. And I pray that You would bless our efforts. I pray, Lord, that You would bring revival to our country. Pray, Lord, that that the the evils of abortion would, um, would continue to be exposed and that, um, Lord, that, that, that people would see their sin and, and turn to you, the only one who can save. Pray for revival, Lord. We desperately need it. And I pray that, that we could be part of sharing your truth in love and trusting in you and walking with you in obedience and holiness and righteousness so that the world might know and so that, that many, many babies might be saved. And so that many souls might be saved. For your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.